Well, hey, guess what? This is it. The big two double zero episode 200. Who would have thought when this podcast started in December 2018 that we'd be here now? We've hit 200 episodes and over 70,000 downloads of the podcast in total. But you know, from something that started as a fun little side gig for me all that time ago to where it's taken us to now, what a journey. And all these extra things that we do on top of the podcast as well with Talking Health Tech. Got the website with the directory and all the content that companies post on our website. We've got the glossary with over 300 definitions of terms used within health tech today. We've got our quarterly summits, full day virtual events featuring all the best names and faces from across the technology space in healthcare today. And also our community forum featuring our THT Plus members, a place to grow and connect about health tech here and abroad. And so in this episode today, the special guest is me. So the roles are reversed. I'm being interviewed by none other than Michelle Gardner, who is a THT Plus member. She's from Annalise AI. But we decided to do this as a bit of a roles reverse episode as an opportunity for me to share my own experiences from this journey of going from episode one to 200, where we are today, what I've learned over a period of time, but also to introduce something cool. As we're leading into the festive season, we'll be taking a little bit of a break from our usual podcast schedule of dropping two episodes every week. But we won't leave you high and dry. Michelle, who was previously featured on our premium podcast in a bonus episode. Well, Michelle will be interviewing members of the THT Plus community each week in a special holiday mentoring series that we're running. So keep listening on this podcast feed each week over the Christmas and New Year period. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so you get notified each time a new episode comes up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcast players. And listen in each week as Michelle speaks to different managers, founders, people who are all THT Plus members making a meaningful impact in digital health and health tech scene today. But let's get stuck into it. Hey, this is episode 200. It's my reflections on the journey so far and what's ahead, hosted by Michelle Gardner. And we'll get into it now. So you know what we say, folks? Collaboration. It starts with a conversation. So let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. All right. So, Pete, thanks for taking some time to be on this podcast. How unusual. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, first question I wanted to ask is, how did you get here? So, what sparked Talking Health Tech? Yeah, good question. I've, I've worked within, I guess, call it the industry of healthcare and technology for the past 15, 20 years. Uh, some might have heard the story, but to summarize, worked with the big companies like the international SOSs and Medibanks and Sonics, working in emergency assistance type platforms and doing telephone healthcare stuff, and then moved across to running bricks and mortar clinics in kind of like a GP setting, but doing a lot of travel medicine. So people getting pre-employments, post-deployments, periodicals, getting your vaccines, medical kits before you go somewhere interesting. And that was managing doctors, nurses, admin staff across multiple 20-something clinics. And then there was some clinics in New Zealand and other parts of the world as well. Uh, That gave me a good handle of how things work in a GP setting on a day-to-day, but also adding those extra complexities of managing stock and inventory But then also, it was a really interesting vibe because Travel Doctor TMVC, which was the brand that that I was running, essentially, which was owned by Medibank, Medibank very much were like, well, it's got its own unique brand, so run with it as you like. I had my own marketing person. And that was interesting being like a startup, but 
bankrolled by a big insurance company. So, you know, little risk in terms of my own personal stake, but at the same time, all of the kind of business acumen that was needed. And I loved working with practice managers because it was really interesting seeing each clinic was like its own little business. And a practice manager, it's such an underrated role because they're essentially running an entire business themselves with such little support and or like, and often they're, they're clinical themselves. They've probably come from the clinic as a nurse or even as a receptionist. And then they're told, hey, manage the entire P&L and, and do your own local area marketing and manage all the people issues. So working with some amazing practice managers in that time, it taught me a lot about this space. And, and I went through that whole process of selling the Travel Doctor TMVC business from Medibank to Sonic. And that was just a really fascinating process to go through. It gave me a lot of insights about due diligence and you know building up data rooms and how that whole process works. Because I was seen as the guy that kind of just knew everything about Travel Doctor, so was involved in a lot of those conversations. I then moved to Sonic and helped land the thing and that transition of the business, and that was really interesting. The whole changing how doctors were were paid in the business, because in Medibank, they were all employees of Medibank for Travel Doctor TMVC, which is not the norm compared to how GPs generally are engaged within practices. They're normally seen as an independent contractor running their own business inside the clinic. So we basically went through the process of making all of the doctors redundant, but then putting them onto independent contracts, which was a, a fascinating process to go through and involved a lot of individual conversations. But that all went actually quite well. And when I left Sonic, I kind of had this point where I'm like, well, do I continue to stay in this bigger corporate life? And I could have gone to another GM type role running another business unit. And then this opportunity came up at Medi Records, which was advertised and it was in positioned as a, an up-and-coming piece of technology in healthcare. And I thought, hey, you know, I've covered different parts of healthcare, so let's have a look at the technology side. And from my own background, I was always interested in just interesting ways to use technology. Didn't do any kind of qualifications in, in terms of coding or development or anything, but was interested in it and could definitely see how things could be done better in the space, particularly running the clinics. And we we didn't even have best practice or medical director or anything. It was like this custom built practice management system, but most of it was manila folders and all the medical information was still paper-based in the travel doctor days. So that was really, yeah, that, that gave me a good feel for those challenges and how technology could help improve things. So I went to Medi Records and that was really cool, seeing that whole process of building a startup from the ground up, working alongside the founders. It was one of the first employees of the business there and hired a team and restructured some things. And going through that process of finding product market fit and finding your reference sites and doing all those things that everyone's doing to try and get some traction. And then this opportunity came up with Queensland Health where it was uh, a big, long tender and, and negotiation process, but rolling out the MediRecords platform to basically all the HHSs, the, all the hospitals in, in Queensland which really helped reposition that business, Medi Records, as a, as a solution that's really well placed for enterprise opportunities as opposed to just the little single GP clinics around Australia. So that was really interesting going through that, kind of pivoting but not and just taking opportunities. And, and it wasn't really where I'd expected the business to go when I started, but it made so much sense once I was there. So being a bit flexible there was was key. And I thought, oh, that's great. We've landed this contract and I don't have to check the bank balance every morning to make sure the employees can be paid. There's a little bit of stability there. And that's great from my own personal perspective because your second kid on the way and all this kind of stuff, big Sydney whopping mortgage, all that kind of jazz. But then I got a, got a call from a company out of Vancouver that I had not heard of 
from founders that I had not heard of. And the employer was like, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to basically do it again with this organization that you've never heard of. I'm like, sounds cool, very flattering, but no, I'm okay. And then heard a bit more about the product and what they were doing and, and who was involved in the in the project. So Scott Farquhar from Atlassian was invested and Daniel Petri personally from Airtree. And it was all about helping doctors diagnose skin cancer using artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so even more interesting use of tech. I'm like, hey, let's give it a crack. And and I did and left Medi Records on really good terms and still very much in contact with them. Great product. But then opportunity to build something up from scratch in Australia for, for Meta Optima and Derm Engine and Moleskope. So I did that for a couple of years. And so through all of that process of being involved in different parts of the ecosystem and industries, built up a decent network and... On the side, you know, back before you have kids, you've got these things called hobbies, which I vaguely recall. And uh, one of my hobbies back in the day was doing community radio. And Michelle, I know you used to do community radio at some point and And you know the feel of you. I did a lot of night shifts and uh, the overnight things. And back in my in my 20s as well, I was really excited where I'd finish a shift at SOS or something and then I'd rush over to FBI and I really enjoyed it. Um, but that was all pre-podcasting. And then I started listening to more and more podcasts. I'm like, why isn't there anything about Australian health? I started listening to a couple about digital health and technology and healthcare, but they were more about the US and UK. And I'm like, there's such interesting stuff happening that I know of and people that I've connected over time. And I know this power of audio really well from all my community radio days. So why don't I start a podcast? How hard could it be? And really, honestly, in my head, I thought maybe 10 or 20 episodes and then that'd be it. And that would be a bit of fun. The name Talking Elsa kind of just came to me at some random point. I think I was putting one of my children to bed or something like that. I'm like, oh, I'll write that down on my phone. And and it just continued to go and was received really well. I had some great support from the initial guests who came on. Those first 10 guests helped share the word. Tim Blake in particular was really supportive from the get-go and he didn't need to be and gave me some good introduction. But I think he also saw as well, hey, it's just good to have these conversations out loud and for other people and see where it goes. And from day one, it was the collaboration starts with the conversation was from episode one and it's still very much strong where it is now. So I think that's kind of kept it all the way through. And since then, it's much more than a podcast now, but that's that's the early days of it. So now that we're at episode 200, how has the vision changed from those kind of early 10 episodes all the way to now? Yeah, it's been pretty pretty consistent. So the thinking about the why of doing the podcast from the outset. It was like, what can be achieved from doing a podcast necessarily? Are we going to change all these things that need to be changed, like making more systems speak to each other or making Medicare pay doctors for more things that they're entitled to? And it's like, no, I don't think any one episode in particular is going to do that. So kind of like, what's the point? And then I'm like, well, the more that we can have these conversations out loud or in public or at least help other people understand the space a little bit more, then I think that that can add value. And something I learned doing the podcast, it's always been consistent about just trying to bridge some of those gaps and break down some of those silos and other cliches. But the a consistent theme from all those different gigs that I had in healthcare before was I very much felt like I was doing it by myself. I had to work out how to do it myself, even though there was a bunch of other people working in the space doing similar things. We were just keeping to ourselves and not sharing our notes And that's just how you did things. And I think that a lot of other people feel the same way and it can feel remarkably isolating and just not 
overly collaborative and not helpful to the industry overall. So I think just trying to build this culture of it's okay to talk about ideas that you're building and that doesn't mean that everyone's going to steal your idea necessarily. Or you can partner with someone who's also a competitor and just have a realistic expectation of what you do and what others don't do. So there's still a lot of work to do in that in that space, I think, in the healthcare industry in Australia and, and overall globally, really. But I think we're, we're making kind of steps there and, and we play a small part of that at Talking Health Tech. But the other thing that I didn't expect from the podcast was how many people say that they've learned so much from listening to it. And I think I had that realization probably around episode 60 something where it's like people are actually learning a lot from the podcast. And I think it's just from asking the the simple questions and boiling things down to basics. It can be it's something that a lot of people have overlooked because I was worried. It's like, well, how am I going to do an episode, you know, really digging into the importance of the fire standards or something if I don't really know heaps about fire myself? And it's like, well, a lot of people don't know a lot about fire. And, and, and a lot of the times the question ha- people have is, what is it and why and the and the basics and just being able to discuss that with someone like Graham, the, the father of fire, so to speak. I don't have to be on the same you know, wavelength as him in terms of how deep I am in it. It's just trying to get an understanding because there's so many different aspects to all of it. So being able to just get a high level of what is AI in healthcare and what is all these other different terminologies and, and things and why they're important, it kind of helps everyone get from from A to B and the things they want to do in this in this space. And did you in that process ever feel like you had, you know, imposter syndrome or how did you kind of overcome that hurdle of I don't know everything? Like personally I'm not from a clinical background and working in healthcare could sometimes be like drinking from a fire hose to use that expression? Yeah, sure. I I still, on a daily basis, deal with imposter syndrome. So, you know, it's not something that I think that just goes away. Throughout my career as well, that's kind of just something I've I've dealt with it and I've tried to deal with it in different ways. So like I'll tell a different story. When I was in a lot of those general management type gigs and managing PL, something that kept coming up was you need to have strong financial acumen to be a really good general manager. And it's like, yeah, because your your managers and everyone expects that you've got a good handle on the PL. And so when I I remember going through school and everything and maths wasn't a super strong point from my side. And I remember looking at PLs, even doing my MBA, and I'm like, I can get through and I can understand it and that's enough. But then if do I have a good deep understanding of how it might how all the different aspects play together? Probably not. So my way of dealing with that was, well, I know one way that I can get really good at managing a PL. I'll become an accountant. I'll, I'll become a certified practicing accountant because surely if I do that qualification, that will then fix everything. And I was really tired when I made that decision because I was traveling lots. But then I, I, I thought, well, how about I just become qualified? And then that way, there'll be no question that I am really good at managing a PL. So would I recommend other people do that? No, I definitely wouldn't recommend anyone does that. But I went through that process of kind of dealing with something that like a, something that I thought was not a strength. And it's like, how am I going to work on it? I'll get really good at it and feel like I'm qualified in it. And now, yes, I have a really strong understanding of the financials. I could probably do my own tax return, but I don't really, I'm not passionate about it. And I would definitely never start my own accounting practice or anything, nor would I do any accounting for anyone for that matter, because I don't think I'd be overly good at it. But it's something that going through that whole process and do I, did I feel heaps better about it? 
like, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it gave me some skills, but then you just kind of fill that void with another thing that you feel uncertain about. So it, it was an interesting process to go through, but it's, I guess, whatever you do to try and give yourself some confidence in the skills is, is, is what you do. And were those first few episodes daunting for you or were you like, no, I've, I've been doing community radio, I've totally got this? It was da- Putting it out in the industry, because back then I was attending conferences and doing those things, but it was about, I think the number one priority then was building personal brand for me and just trying to have a place in the industry and be able to have some of those conversations. I didn't actually expect that it would go to the point where now it's like my full-time thing. So yeah, it was having those conversations with the likes of the the Tim Blakes and the, the Graham Greaves and even Sylvia episode one. You'll notice though on the first, actually even up to probably up to episode 100, there's not too much on the podcast that's me taking a stance or a view on things. If I was to reflect back and look at those, it's very much me asking the questions of another guest. So I think I dealt with the uncertainty just by being, you know, real and true and saying, well, I don't know too much about this space. I'm going to guess if I think that way, then probably a few other people think the same. And I think that's why they've been well received. I guess these days now on the podcast, I'll share my thoughts like with a guest, but I, I often try and hold back because it's all about the guest in that episode as opposed to to me kind of expressing my views. And I think that's that's why it's been well received. And at what point did you decide that this could actually become a full-time thing? I think when, because there was no intention to monetize the podcast at all from, from the get-go and doing the episodes consistently and receiving requests from guests to come on the show. Again, there was no business model that stuck out to me. I just thought, that's great. There's getting a little bit of traction. But then there was conversations like companies that started approaching saying, hey, we've got an idea for multiple episodes and we've got ideas like for being able to run sponsorship or maybe we can support you in getting the, the message out further and we understand that would cost some money. So maybe we could do something there. So as as that started happening and engaging with other players that that do, I guess, media in the space. And they're like, this is what we do. And I started a lot of those conversations in just understanding how they were operating. It made, it made sense that there could be something that's value adding at the same time as an opportunity for at least to cover its own cost. So there was a lot of trial and error about business models and different ways to monetize a podcast and then building the website off the back of it. And I've learned so much about monetizing online and online businesses and all the other kind of bits and pieces. And people who followed it from the start, I think you'll notice a lot of the time, like things that I'll experiment with and give it a crack and some things will land and some things won't. But, you know, it's kind of followed a a logical path when it goes from just doing the podcast. And then I, I invested in like a proper website for the podcast because it didn't really make sense to share a podcast episode on LinkedIn and then go, hey, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, here's this link. And if you listen on Spotify, here's this link. Like there's those little kind of things you don't really think of when you're doing a podcast from the outside. Like, what do you share? So I was like, well, here's the website for the podcast. That makes sense. But then, you know, we started talking about recurring themes. So it's like, hey, if someone was interested in this episode about AI and healthcare, then what else could they listen to? So we started linking it together with a glossary of health tech terms. And then off the back of that, it's like, well, hey, if you're interested in 
this podcast episode with this company, what else could you learn about this company? So then that's where the directory came from with companies. So it was all just a natural progression on each. And then with each thing that came up, presented an opportunity to put the business around it. The last piece after the directory for companies was then the community for individuals. And I think that was a, a good inflection point for us because there was so much that was going on with the podcast that was like a one-way conversation. So me and a guest and then people listening to that as opposed to having direct engagement with people that were participating in it. And even the directory and the website, all of that was very one way. But then building the community forum off the back of it, I think, changed a lot of that where it was an opportunity for everyone to connect and it became less about me, which has never really been the intention in the first place. Uh, it's more about the community and people participating in it, which was, was good. And so since then, there's been the summits and other bits and pieces which come off the community. But that's when I describe what Talking Health Tech is now, I, I still describe it as a podcast, but a podcast and membership community for those passionate about technology and healthcare. So the community is a really important aspect to all of it. But also I think it's important to mention that period in time where the podcast went from being this passion project to then being like a side hustle to then becoming my full-time thing. There was a lot of soul searching and thinking and reflecting and umming and ahhing that I did at different stages in that process, particularly at that point where I was deciding whether I was going to make this my full-time thing or not. And I guess my reflections on that, and after getting some advice from other people about it too, I think so often when we make big decisions, whether it's about changing careers or any other big decision in life, it's that bit where you've got to make a jump that's the really hard piece. You can do all of the prep work and all of the business cases and all of the pros and cons lists and mind maps, because I did them all as well. But I think because sometimes we just always think of them as a very binary success or fail kind of outcome. Like if this goes bad in your mind, you think it's going to go really bad. So I found some solace in kind of reflecting on what the really worst case scenario might be. If they everything goes bad, how bad would it be? Say, for example, leaving full-time employment. You know, I've got three kids, got a Sydney mortgage, all of those kind of things. So it's not a small decision to make. Assuming all of those went bad, what would happen? And even then, I'd probably still be okay for a period of time. So that was helpful. Also, combining that with the point I was touching on before about we often think it's either going to be really successful or really catastrophically bad. So the way that things worked for me was I was still able to do some things for Meta Optima for a period of time in leaving my full-time employment. So it was like a gradual shift over. I'm very fortunate and grateful that I could do that. Talking Health Tech is now my full-time thing. I'm still a company director for... Meta Optima, but there's no salary or anything associated with that. But with any of these big decisions in life, it's helpful to think about, is there a gradual way that you can get there rather than going a big bang from, you know, one extreme to another? So you can have, you know, one foot in either camp. At some point, eventually, yes, you've got to take your foot off one ladder to go on, you know, all onto the other one. But that transitional period in between, that can often make things easier in making a big decision like a big career move or any other big life decisions. So hopefully that helps other people too. So we're going to switch gears a little bit here and I'm going to start talking a little bit more about you. So intent of these sessions is to get a bit of mentoring out of them. So I'm going to get some hard hitting questions to you now. All right. So what's the hardest thing you've had to do in your life so far? There's a couple because one thing that comes to mind is being a parent and kids 
and being that role model in that sense, because I've got three kids who are eight, five, and three at the time of recording this. It's the most rewarding thing for me, and, and the most important thing in life is certainly family and kids. So it is definitely the hardest thing, but it's also the most rewarding and fulfilling. The, the, the other bits and pieces, I guess, which have been hard for me or like the hard things in life has been education and just working out my place in that whole space. Like I mentioned the CPA story before, that's, that's right up there. That was a tough slog. And I think balancing it with all the other responsibilities and priorities, it's one aspect of it was just learning it and understanding it. But I think the harder piece of it was then having that realization going through this qualification that part of me wasn't like super into whilst balancing being a new dad and also all of the business side of things. So it was certainly complimentary, but it was a like that kind of dip where everything is really hard and it's like, well, I could just stop doing it. But if I stop doing it, it's a waste of time. So that was a tough, a tough period, but rewarding nonetheless. And how do you balance family with all the many things that you seem to be doing? <laughs> it's a challenge, but I, I do try and make a hard line in terms of when I'm doing work stuff and when I'm doing family stuff, although it can be very easy to get sucked into work things whilst doing family stuff. And that's something I'm always trying to get better at. I think that the the calendar is really important to me and just having time available for work. And that's when I'm doing those things. Uh, I found it really hard to say no to a lot of work things, especially even recently doing talking health tech stuff where as a business, it's heavily reliant on me and making sure things are happening. So if I say no to a meeting with somebody who might be a potential sponsor or a business partner, then you kind of have this moment in your head of like, well, there's going to be issues with the business and all of that. But at the same time, if you're not managing that and barriers around it and building up the structure and, and allowing it to be something when you're uh, not there, then that's not a sustainable business in itself. So I think for me, most importantly is the family side of things. So making sure that I'm always available for family is important. I think a really important thing to remember as well is not to be too hard on yourself. And I'm guilty of that often. You know, I'll listen to podcasts or watch things or read things with people who seem like superheroes, like the Tim Ferrises and Andrew Hubermans and whoever. And funnily enough, often those people don't have kids, but as an aside, you know, they, they present this they paint this picture of them absolutely nailing every single aspect of life that they wake up at 3am, but they've still managed to get 12 hours sleep because that's really important. Then they have some kind of ice bath and then meditate for six hours and then write in the journal and then, you know, smash out 15 hours of work in three minutes or whatever it is. And you listen to it and you're like, far out, like I, I had a shower today. Like, you know, when you're, when you're a young parent, that's like, that was a win. So... You know, just being able to reflect and say, man, I've got a happy, healthy family. I've got a job. That's success. And anything else on top of that is a bonus. And I think a lot of people need to hear that, especially after this last, you know, 18, 24 months. I feel like I'm hearing more of that, though, from other people, too. It's not just me saying it. Just don't be too hard on yourself. It's always good to have goals and want to improve on things and all that. Sure. But just make sure you keep it in perspective, too. And if you had to go back in your career and give past Pete some advice, what would that be? I guess it would be to provide myself with reassurance that all those random things you're doing are kind of adding up to something that will mean something in the end. So doing the community radio stuff, I did advertising. I studied advertising when I left high school and that got me into the community radio thing. 
And maybe if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have done the podcasting stuff. And sure, that wasn't related to healthcare at the time, but I did a lot of the jobs on the ground in the healthcare business, learning the ropes and each time gaining some more experience, adding another link to the chain, which then contributes to what I do now. And so all of those prior experiences have led up to this point. And this isn't the end of the journey by no means. It's where I'm at now. And who knows what the next 5, 10, 15 beyond years will bring, but likely I'll call on the experience I'm getting right now and the amazing people I'm meeting, continuing to build. So I think generally for people, I just feel like there's something that's about how everything comes together and doing creative projects or unrelated things can end up all coming together and do something amazing for you. Um, you create your own unique story and unique experiences. You don't necessarily have to make a business out of your creative project, but maybe doing your creative project on the side will give you a different outlet so that you can focus in a different way on your career or it gives you more happiness and drive and motivation in life. So it's all, it's all part of the journey. I also heard someone say before that it's sometimes just as important who you are not as who you are. Probably haven't said that right, but for me, working out what I don't want to do has been pretty helpful. And by no means have I nailed it or anything, but I think that's helped me hone in on not being, you know, the CEO of an ASX listed company who's not there for their kids. You know, I, I definitely want to work hard, but I also want to balance it and prioritize it. And I work on that. I can't say I'm successful at it all the time, but I can do it. So I think knowing what you don't want to be helps you kind of narrow down your choices so that you can focus on what you do want to be. And you don't need to be other people. I used to listen to other people and how they interviewed or their responses or even how they would do presentations at work or their approach to problems. And I would take inspiration from people, but like I, I used to try and imitate. And that was really hard because I wasn't very good at imitating people. But then when I just started to be me and my own unique aspects come through, even though they were sometimes raw or not as polished as others. I think that's when things started to go much better for me and I'd start to see the results. Because I think when you're just being you and transparent and open, then people are a little bit more likely to do the same and a bit more willing to work with you when those kind of guards come down and you're just like, well, this is where I'm at and this is what I think. And you kind of get there in the end together, as opposed to trying to pretend like you've got all the answers or that you're this super polished thing. And what steps did you take to be a bit more vulnerable in your workplace? I think I, I remember going through the process of working out what's important to me and what's my personal values. And whilst I don't go through that process as regularly now, I think I needed to go through that initially where it's like, well, what is really important to me? What are some things that I could leave behind? So for me, it was all about what brings me happiness, what makes me proud about what I do and what gives me fulfillment, like what makes me feel like I've done something that's value adding. And so if, if what I'm doing is not contributing to those three things, and that still holds pretty strong to me today. I kind of went through that process. It was in the Medibank days where you go through the big corporate, I don't know what they're called, personal motivation days or whatever. At the time I thought, oh yeah, sure, whatever. Let's just go through that process. But it was really value-adding. I think that going through and thinking about what is important to me and what my values are, that I think is important. And I've kind of, whether I've done that implicitly or not, I think it's just become a bit more like centered. When you've got something to anchor you back to why you're doing things on a day-to-day -day, that's important, especially when you're not thinking about it all the time because it's still kind of guiding you even though you're not actu actually thinking about it. 
And did you, so you took that right back early in your career all the way through into different smaller organisations? Yeah, I think so. I think you, you pick up things as you go. So I always being centred in, you know, thinking about what my own personal values are and what I think is important to me. And that kind of weathers you through those storms. At the same time, when you, I've picked up things working for very big organisations that then I've applied into the smaller organisations that someone who's, you know, only been in those small organizations wouldn't have kind of taken from their own experiences in the big ones. I think also just generally going through taking up any opportunity or any experience that you can, especially in early in your career, even if it doesn't exactly feel like it's the right path, the more like whatever you experience, whatever job you take, whatever role, even if it's not related at all, it can then give you the experience and the opportunity to try something, which then you can hopefully remember for next time when you go into a new gig or a new um, opportunity comes up. So I think taking all those experiences that you've had from previous learnings is um, really valuable. Sounds good. Sounds very fair. I think the differences between the big orgs and the small orgs is always an interesting one. And there's certainly lessons you can apply along the way. But I, I love how that values anchored you. So it's coming towards the end of the year. And what a year it's been. I mean, we definitely can't complain compared to some of our Melbourne folks, but it has been a hard, hard year being in lockdown in Sydney. So what what inspires and motivates you? Definitely family and kids motivates me and inspires me to be a better person and a better dad. But also working in healthcare is extremely motivating and inspiring, not just doing something meaningful and doing good, but working with some really intelligent and interesting people. And I think anyone who works in healthcare, whether they're a clinician or in a technical role or whatever, the people that you meet and that mix of clinicians and technical people and problem solvers gives you such interesting perspective. It's always fascinating to listen to people who operate in this space. Some great stories to share. I think about the people that motivate me and inspire me, and I don't really, you know, subscribe to wanting to be like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or anyone. I, I, and I don't want, at least at this point in my life, don't want to be a CEO of a big ASX listed company or anything because I don't, I don't think that's the lifestyle that works for me now. I think that you can be very successful in a very niche kind. Kind of area or at a very specific job and that can be really fulfilling and rewarding to you so i'm really inspired and motivated when i see stories and hear stories of people who have made something their own in in a very specific area and something that doesn't give them huge fame and fortune but it gives them a great deal of meaning and they've had an impact in their very specific area of influence. You don't need to be a celebrity uh, or a CEO of a big listed company to have a really meaningful impact. You know, I know some amazing people who strive to be the best mum or dad in the world and they, and I would argue they've had more success and a more fulfilling life than some of the senior executives that you see in larger organisations who are so career driven. I've seen people who've worked in the same role for 30 plus years and they've never aspired to climbing the ladder or moving to something else. They've just been driven every day to do a good job and either they really enjoy the mastery or it's just a means to an end and they've become so content with that and they put their heart and soul into something else. And all of that is success, I think, and that inspires me and motivates me to do me, really. And do you have any examples of people that have maybe followed their niche that aren't you? Um, I don't have any one particular standout 
story. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts, funnily enough, but not, not always the Talking Health Day podcast. Podcasts about people in the entrepreneurial space. I find the ones that focus on their really specific niche, like, you know, writing tenders for government contracts, and they become like the ninja at that. Or I was listening to a podcast before this about a guy who built a really successful business around building modular components for rocket ships for, you know, Bezos and Musk and everyone and, you know, end up selling his business for seven figures. So he built this hyper niche business and had super refined understanding and expertise in that area. And I'm fascinated by this concept of being niche and being small against big competitors. And you become like the trusted source and the genuine influencer that people resonate with, which I think is refreshing in this day and age. Often it depends on what circles you're operating in, but particularly in the software world, it's all about let's make this scalable and let's make this really big and let's raise a bunch of money to be huge as if that's like the definition of success of being the biggest entity as fast as possible but i just think there's something really genuine and authentic about people who master their craft or you know passionate about a particular area and i think that's motivating for anyone that you can take something you're passionate about geek out about it and maybe even one day make a living out of it so Thinking about 2022, are you a resolutions kind of person? I used to do resolutions and then for a couple of years, I would refer back to my list of things and I'd do like, hey, this is what I want to achieve in the area of health and this is what I want to achieve in the area of education and and career. And I wouldn't get across all of them, but I'd have quite measurable ones and qualitative and quantitative things and all that kind of stuff. I haven't done that for a couple of years. But what I have done is not so much set uh, New Year's resolutions at the start of the year. I've, I've tried to at least make a little bit of time at the end of a year to then say, well, what has occurred in the past 12 months and what worked well for me and what didn't and what would I bring into the next year or really kind of double down on and what would I just leave behind? And that kind of takes a little bit of pressure off of like, setting yourself up at the start of the year to then get lost in the whole process three months in and then going, well, that's a waste of another year and you've got all these other things that you could be doing. I do like that, you know, a new year brings everyone an opportunity to then be like, okay, what do I want to achieve? So I think there's value in doing that. And it's always hard to do that kind of mid-year because it doesn't have the same kind of, you know, pizzazz to it. That said, there's no reason why anyone couldn't all of a sudden set New Year's resolutions in April or whenever they're at. So I think it's just good to have an opportunity to look back at like what's happened and then work out what am I going to take from that experience going into the new year. So that's what I'll be doing. And do you have like a process you follow for goal setting or just like, is it a whiteboard? Is it paper? What do you do? Yeah, oh, it's, <laughs> it's funny talking about the whiteboard because Alex and Kaya and everyone in the Talking Health Tech team would know about the the infamous whiteboard. I used to, and it's not goal related necessarily, but all the episode planning for Talking Health Tech used to be done on my whiteboard. Originally it was in my laundry. So, but now we, we moved to doing it online to one of the project management tools that, that you can get. And that was a big deal for me. And it's and the, the irony of, I had like, you know, the whiteboard and the little kind of magnet things. And 
And if I wanted to kind of build the business to be something bigger than me, it obviously needs to be on something that everyone can access. So I fully understand that. Um, but I, there's something about having physical kind of tangible things to be able to plan. But I think it's about having a combination of both. So I'm very much off. I don't know the last time I actually wrote something down on pen and paper. So I, I'm not a writing things down in a, in a journal type guy. I can write very quickly on my phone and on the computer and I can make notes much faster during a meeting if I'm typing them, all that kind of stuff. But I then usually go the other way. I'll take all my notes and all that kind of stuff and will then put them onto something that I can physically see. Usually the whiteboard, I've moved the whiteboard into my office here in the, in the home office. It's not used for episode planning anymore, but funnily enough, it is, it's got a thing for 2022 and it's got, these are some of the things I'm working on. So I can't, again, I don't say, I don't think I've nailed the process and I, I don't think I'll be someone that'll be saying, hey, here's a template for things for you to ha- how to nail 2022. But it is, it's interesting though. I've gone from all different, I've used every single project management tool there is known to, to man. I've used every online system and I get very excited about using them. But it's interesting. I always seem to just revert back to Apple Notes and then my calendar. They're my two things that I can rely on with confidence. So I think that that's, it doesn't matter how many fancy tools are available in the end. I'll just have an Apple Note and I can open it up and, and away I go. I like it. Keep it simple and celebrate all the wins for the year. Mm, Very yeah, cool. Yeah, that's a good way about it. So what about 2022? What has Talking Health Tech got to look forward to? Well, I think in the same kind of way of thinking about for myself and what you know that looks like in, in reflecting on the past 12 months and then looking at what to bring into the new year, obviously the podcast is front and center for everything we do at Talking Health Tech. So continue to bring on new and exciting guests there for beyond episode 200. And the summits, they're really exciting. And and just thinking as well about the different platforms that we can use outside of a podcast. So people would have noticed we've been experimenting with live streams on social media and Clubhouse and other bits and pieces too. So we'll always keep an eye out for what works best and finding that balance between spreading ourselves too thin and being, you know, too much noise versus just being able to access more people. Because some people don't listen to podcasts. They prefer to read stuff or they prefer to watch things. So just making sure we're available on all the different platforms for people that might get value from it. The community is always front and center for us and really doubling down on how we can deliver the most amount of value for our members of the community will be right up there in terms of our priorities for 2022. And there's some interesting things we've got planned I'm really excited about some of our work we're going to be doing in working groups. So I'm keen to put together some working groups that focus on specific areas of health tech to then, because we've got such a diverse community who there is like a cohort of people who are all founders of solutions and they're at that really early stage of how they, you know, do the whole product market fit and doing their beta testing and getting their reference customers and all that. But then we've also got a cohort of people who are in much more established organizations and they're looking at really trying to understand areas like value-based care and what role that has in, in healthcare. So there's a number of different examples of these different little groups And so we've been playing with how we cater to those different groups, but not segment things too much so people it feels like that we're all part of something different. But I think the working groups that we'll be doing in 2022 will be value adding in that people can come together and contribute to hopefully do something meaningful in that space, which can then be accessible to the broader public. So things like white papers or other think pieces. 
pulling together all the different amazing guests we've had on the show and the sessions we've had at the summits and all the conversations that happen in the community, being able to then parcel that up into, say, a, a small actionable white paper from one of these working groups on one of these topics would be pretty interesting. So we're going to be playing with that idea in 2022. And I'm really interested to see how the whole, the, the real life thing where community members can actually meet in person, that'll be really fun. Uh, and getting back into doing in-person events and attending those. So from a talking health tech side of things, the community forum, the online aspect will still be you know, our place to go and, and our home for things. And we're very much a virtual community or an online community. But just before COVID, we'd started experimenting with in-person recordings and like smaller meetups. And we obviously had to stop doing those. But we did a panel session where we had different speakers and people could attend live, but then that was recorded as a podcast episode. So I think we'll be doing a few of those perhaps with different organizations, maybe at their location. So not, I, I don't think we're going to be doing any big events, like big in-person events ourselves in 2022, but maybe some smaller meetup opportunities where then you can attend a recording of a session. And then if you can't attend that one, you don't miss out because you get to hear it on the podcast later. I'm sure there'll be other random projects that we'll take on, but they're some of the big, big ticket items that we've got planned for 2020. That sounds very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. So any closing comments that you want to make before we wrap up with my final question? Just generally, thank you, Michelle, for doing the upcoming sessions on the podcast to see us through the Christmas and New Year break. I'm really excited to hear what other community members have to say about mentoring others and how they approach things. And I think maybe if we could do more of that within the community too, that would be really cool. So I'm looking forward to hearing more stories from community members about what they're up to in 2022 and beyond. Amazing. And my last question for you is, if you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be and why? I love this question and I haven't thought about my answer. Um, I don't know. I'd be like a highly caffeinated one. So like the, the coffee ones that have like extra coffee injected in it because, you know what? I went like over nearly 12 months without coffee. Um, Why? And, well, <laughs> well, this is what I thought. So then I started again. <laughs> no, no, that was, I had this big, like the brief moment in time where I was remarkably healthy and I'm still healthy now, but I still like, I feel like depriving yourself of coffee was was just too much peter birch so i now i've got to find this this good balance okay so you'd be some sort of espresso gelato yes Amazing. and it's <laughs> and it's not like one of those high end i'm not someone who i'm not a coffee snob at all it's all about function for me so whatever's got the most amount of impact then uh then that's what i'll have and if that means that it's no frills but it powers me to do the next thing then that's what it would be okay so if, some sort of blend 42 you're brewed with a Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In ice cream. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Functional mm. and caffeinated. Love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the chat. This has been really fun. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Same here. Thank you so much, Michelle. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. And remember, in the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing from Michelle hosting a special holiday mentoring series where she interviews a member of the THT Plus community each week. There'll likely be some familiar names and faces. We'll be a bit more focusing on personal growth and development and mentoring and all the important things we need and getting those foundations right leading into a new year. And then we'll get back into our regular programming next year in 2022, where I'll be hosting the show as per normal from about mid-January, a little bit earlier for our THT Plus members who get the podcast earlier. So have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Connect with us on the social medias if you've not already. And I look forward to continuing to chat with our THT Plus members 
in our community forum over the holiday period, but I hope you disconnect and get a bit of a break too. Stay safe. See you next year. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Thank you.